Our scripture reading this morning is selected verses from 1 Chronicle, the verses 28 and 29. Then King David rose to his feet and said, I had planned to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, for you are a warrior and have shed blood. He said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. Then David gave his son Solomon the plan of the temple. Then the leaders of the ancestral houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds, and of the officers over the king's work. Then the people rejoiced because these had given willingly, for with single mind they had offered freely to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Thus David, son of Jesse, reigned over Israel. The period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron, Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. He died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor, and his son Solomon succeeded him. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, I've got 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. But I'll take 20 and close the service. Uh, let's pray. Surprise us, O oh God, with your truth. Open our minds and open our hearts to your word, that hearing we might believe and that believing we might trust you and serve you and serve our neighbors every day of our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, today we conclude a series, a brief series of four sermons on the life of David. Uh, we've looked at David as, as uh, snippets of four little windows into his life, and we began by looking at David as this young shepherd boy. He was the youngest of eight sons, the least likely to become a great king, um, to become a towering figure in the Bible, to become somebody who 3,000 years later uh, would still be impacting us today. Um, but it was there that David, as a shepherd, as a shepherd boy growing up in the, in the wilderness, uh, he learned the art and practice of caring for and providing for a flock, learning about the rhythms of nature, life in the outdoors, and the skills that 
come with growing up as a shepherd in the ancient Judean wilderness. Most importantly, his dependence on God for survival. Then we learned that David was a great warrior and that he employed these skills and way of life from his upbringing into the battlefield. He was courageous in battle. He was a very smart and brilliant military strategist. And most of all, he had a deep faith that allowed him to face the giants and know that God would use him to defend them. Then last week, we were reminded from Pastor Bree that, the, uh, that at the age of 30, he finally becomes king. And av- after having to wait for 15 years, he rules over Israel for 40 years. And as he does so, during his time as king, something happens to his soul. The man who was writing beautiful prayers to God, often hiding in caves from King Saul, he was devoted to God, he begins to get caught up in his own success and his own power. Uh, And he ends up violating one of his great commanders, Uriah, and violating Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. David violates six of the Ten Commandments in the worst moment of his life and ends up creating chaos for himself for the rest of his life. But nevertheless, God, through his own repentance and through the ministry of Jonathan and others, um, Nathan, he, he, uh, he repents and God forgives him and restores him. And today we come to the end of David's life, and we're going to look at David as the poet, David as the artist, the musician, the poet, David as lover of God, David as one who composes songs and hymns that we continue to sing this day. You know, in the church, it's interesting, we think about there are kind of two kinds of warriors we think about. There are the justice warriors that go out and fight for justice, and there are prayer warriors who, uh, who devote themselves to prayer. And most of us tend to sort of lean towards one or the other. In David, we find both. Do you ever wonder why we sing when we come to worship on Sunday mornings? I mean, have you ever put yourself in the shoes of, of like an alien or someone who's never been to any kind of corporate uh, religious gathering and go, what in the world is this all about? All these people are singing to God. Um, it's a really peculiar thing to consider. Um, so I did the math, uh, you know, for, for me, some of you have been singing songs to God in worship, in praise, in corporate praise your whole lives um, every week. So I did the math for myself. I started, if I started singing in church at the age of five, and this was in the Roman Catholic Mass, and this was long before there was a thing called children's church. You know, kids just sat with you in the, in the service and, and wiggled and struggled, and, and everybody was miserable together, and that's what we did. And... Um, And so if I started singing when I was five years old and missed a few Sundays per year, but then maybe sang a couple of times per week during uh, college because we had chapel, and if I don't count two services per Sunday, but just one per Sunday, um, I did the math and it's probably over 2,500 times that I have sang in corporate worship which is probably about as useless a bit of information as you'll receive today. 
Except for that, if you think about this in your own life, this is all because of the influence of David. This is David's legacy. This is David's influence. He formed and he shaped the faith of the people of Israel. We wouldn't be singing if it wasn't for David. And what he made clear was if you love God, you will sing to God. If you love God, you will sing to God. We sing because David sang. We, sing, we even sing many of the psalms that David wrote in the Bible. You know, there are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms in the Bible, and half of them are attributed to King David. And as we think about that, the hymn book for ancient Israel, you know, we have hymn books in our pews. The hymn book for ancient Israel was the book of Psalms. It has confessions of faith, it has affirmations of faith, it has praises, it has psalms of lament, all these different types of prayers and psalms. And so the book of Psalms naturally then also became the first Christian hymnal. The first hymnal for the early church was the book of Psalms as well. Jesus had undoubtedly memorized most, if not all, of the book of Psalms, certainly large major portions, and we know this because Jesus routinely turns to the Psalms in prayer from memory, from his own heart. Two in particular, Jesus turns to in the darkest moment of his life when he is on the cross. And if you study the context of those psalms that he quotes from the cross uh, and the context of those, they are written during David's difficult moments in his life as well. And so I just want to remind you, if you were to take a Bible, um, like out of your pew or at home, and if you were to just, and if it doesn't have a lot of notes in the back or the front, and you just open it halfway, you will open it to the book of Psalms. So it is literally the center of the Bible, but that's also a metaphor because it is the heart and soul of the people of God. It is the center of their faith, of our faith. We talk about Scripture as God's Word to us. Paradoxically, the Psalms are written by people expressing their faith to God in, in difficult circumstances. And so what we find in the Psalms is that, you know, sometimes life is going really well. And if something really good just happened to you, you might want to pray something like Psalm 18. It's a Psalm of David. When God delivered David from the hands of King Saul, who was trying to kill him, and in response to that deliverance, David praises God with this Psalm, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from my enemies. Some of you have sung these words before. Uh, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. You can feel the exuberance of that, the joy that comes when something great happens in your life. Your first grandchild is born. But you know, sometimes you don't feel joyful like that. Yeah, sometimes you feel pain. Sometimes you feel brokenness. You don't feel exuberance. You know, I think about the hostages in Gaza. I think about the Palestinian families whose lives have been destroyed. They're not praying Psalm 18 
today, but the faithful among them might be praying Psalm 22, what Jesus prayed from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know you can talk to God like that? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. This is a faithful prayer. And it's what Jesus prayed from the cross. There are many other psalms of lamentations. Uh, You know, both Christians and Jews and even many Muslims pray the psalms. And there have been various times and seasons in my life where I might want to read a psalm a day and go through the whole book of psalms. If you were to commit to that, and this is actually my first of three invitations um, for you from this morning's message, that if you were to read one psalm a day, and when you get to the really long ones, you can just read a portion of it, but read one psalm a day, it's 150 days, you'll be done by Easter. And... uh, And so develop a prayer relationship with the Psalms. The book of Psalms is meant to shape how we pray, how we relate to God, how we imagine God, how how we, you know, uh, live our lives of prayer. So let it shape you, underline it, uh, or focus on a line or two. It's simply an invitation to do what the people of God have always done for thousands of years, praying the Psalms, and then see what happens. See how it changes how you pray. Um, some, you, some of the Psalms you might not connect with. It might be like, well, that's different than what I'm experiencing today. Maybe choose one line or one word that stands out to you and let that sit with you for the day. Some psalms might make you cringe because the psalmist is angry and hurt, like when the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem and slaughtered their families. And so they cried out, God, please dash the Babylonians' babies against the rocks. It's right there in the book of Psalms. Now, you're not going to feel like praying that, but you can imagine that rage, the pain, the rage, the pain that is underneath the rage of a sentiment like that, what it means to feel such pain that only thing you can do is to cry out, and that's welcome because God wants us to relate to him. God wants us to, to bring all of who we are to him, to leave nothing out. And that's an amazing thing in and of itself about the God that we serve. So you might even take it a step further and write your own psalm. Write a psalm, maybe take an hour or a couple hours and carefully craft a psalm to God. I want to wrap up the series by taking a moment just to reflect on David's final years. And I want you to notice what David is doing in these last years of his his life. He's lived a long life, and he's now thinking about what is going to be my legacy. What legacy will I leave behind? And I want you to think about that in your own life today as well. Part of what David wants to do is build a temple. And you remember this from Pastor Bree's sermon last week when David 
told God he wanted to build a temple. God told him no, and he said, no, instead I will build you a dynasty. I will build you a kingdom that will never end. But ultimately, God allowed the building of the temple, but it would be done by David's son. It would be completed by David's son Solomon, not by David himself. But nevertheless, David was pretty heavily involved in his son Solomon's building project. Up to this point, you might remember that God uh, lived in a tent, a tent of meeting from the time Israelites left Egypt. It was uh, uh, for 200 years they had worshipped in this tent, which over the years had undoubtedly gotten ratty and kind of worn down. And so David says, you know, I have this beautiful palace, and yet there's this mountain kind of right up behind me that's even a little bit higher. And I want God's to have a house up there on that mountain so that whenever anybody comes into Jerusalem and whenever the people are walking by in the marketplace, they will see the highest building visible to all of Jerusalem and they will remember and know and be reminded wherever they go that God is in this place, that God is here. That's what David wanted. Um, by being the highest building in the area, they would walk through town and it would be visible. This was David's David's idea. Now, it's interesting that this was part of the legacy that David wanted to leave. He wants future generations to experience this. But David would never enjoy the temple himself. He would never see the building built, but he would give the money, and he would provide the resources for it from his wealth. He would develop the plans for it. He led a capital campaign and challenged the people to give, give to it in order to be able to build that space that he would never step inside because he felt it would be important for future generations. And that reminds me of people from this congregation. This congregation is 60 years old, almost 61 years old. And there were people in this congregation many, many years ago, several multiple decades ago, who gave to build this space, that it would serve future generations. And then they expanded and said, we want to serve the community by starting a child development center that's thriving off the charts in, and waiting lists out the window. Um, and, uh, and they did that. And... And we have no debt on our building because of the generosity of those who have come before us, and some of you certainly are part of that. They did that not because they wanted a nice building for themselves, but because they believed that if they built the right space, the church might have a long future, maybe hundreds of years, and many, many, many generations. And now your children and some of your children's children are growing in your faith because of that gift long ago. When David was making his offering for the temple, he composed a psalm, and he said, Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, 
Our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. He recognized, David recognized that all that he had, all this wealth, this whole kingdom, he couldn't take it with him. And he was going to leave it to do something that would have a lasting impact and pass on his faith for generations to come. I'm reminded again of our sister Adele Watts, who died a little over a year ago and gave 100% of her estate to this church and designated it for mission trip scholarships so that people year after year, children and adults and generations would be able to have the experience of encountering Christ among the poor around the world. That was a legacy that she left and many of our people who went to Kenya this past year got to do that because of that legacy. It causes me to think about what kind of legacy will we leave behind with what we have that we can't take with us. I know a number of pastors um, who have thriving ministries. The only reason they're pastors today is because some family from their church said, I want to sponsor you while you go to graduate school and earn your seminary degree. Now that is a legacy that of one family pouring into another that has an incredible ripple effect. And so the second invitation is, have you thought about what kind of legacy you will leave when you move on from this earth and no longer need the resources you need today? Consider the legacy that you will leave for the kingdom of God. If you're my age, it's not too young to start thinking about that. We have opportunities at every age and stage of life to leave, leave legacies of faith in the world because it's not just about money uh, and how we will leave our money in the future. Even more, much, much more, it's about how we will pour into people's lives today. When I think about that and the legacy that you leave behind is in part all of the people all of the people that you've invested in, all of the people that you've poured into and cared for and influenced and walked with, and that starts with our families, but it extends to our church family and communities around the world. I think about Psalm 72, which is noted as a, a Psalm of Solomon. That only means that it's a Psalm of David written for his son Solomon right before he died. And when you get to the end of the psalm, it says this is the final psalm of David, son of Jesse. So it appears to be the, the last psalm that David composed. And in that psalm, he prays for Solomon. And then at the end of it, he shares his faith with his son in this psalm. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name. May his glory fill the whole earth. Amen and, and amen. That's what he wanted his son to know and believe. I think about how we try so hard as parents to pass on the gift of our faith to our children. We do everything we can and then we trust them to the wind, literally the spirit. Um, and, uh, and sometimes they wander off and they reject their teaching and we pray and hope they may come back and, and maybe they do after you pass away, but they're in God's hands. And I think about, of course, how we baptized Jada this morning. Jada is nine, and she chose personally to be baptized today. And how every time we baptize somebody, 
we ask you, will you do everything in your power to care for this child so that she can have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as, uh, and to grow as, uh, as a faithful follower of Jesus. And so we pass on faith and we share it with them. And so my final invitation is, will you be intentional about passing on your faith to children, not just your own children, but your spiritual children and grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, godchildren, whoever, whatever child God puts in your path, the children who come into your doctor's office. This is what David was after in building the temple and composing the Psalms. My parents just came into town this weekend and they're starting to have conversation with us about setting up a donor-advised fund for each of their three grandkids and putting a little bit of money in that so that not for them, but so that they could give and choose charities that they want to give to to instill in them the joy of giving. Um, I think about another family in our congregation who is caring for a young mother named Angela in Nairobi and uh, helping her and her husband to try to set up a kind of a micro business so that they could have a, a future of raising their children. That's a legacy that you can leave that pours into others. So from David, the poet, we learn the importance of artful words. David was a great poet in service of prayer and worship. He shaped the nation of Israel through the Psalms. We think that maybe building a big building like a temple would be a great legacy. Well, an even greater legacy than the temple that was finally built by Solomon was the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms was David's greatest contribution. We still sing them. They still continue to shape our faith today. Um, and so the heart and soul of Israel's worship and, the, and our church's worship today is the book of Psalms. It was Israel's passionate relationship to God that made them a great nation, not their war-making abilities. And so, once again, the three invitations from today, will you develop a prayer relationship with the Psalms, pray the Psalms, get to know them as prayer, Number two, what legacy will you leave behind with your resources? And number three, will you be intentional about passing your faith on to children? Uh, I'm gonna pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us and your grace. Um, and uh, we ask that you will continue to give us the gift of faith that as we go from this place and to serve you, that we seek to leave a legacy, but that is your legacy. It is your faith. It is the faith of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so give us courage, give us passion, give us hope, and give us love for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.